0: Hello and welcome to Sunday Night Conversations brought to you by D1Baseball.com. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. And as always, Sunday Night Conversations is brought to us by our presenting sponsor, Netting Pros, netting pros specializes in the design fabrication and installation of custom netting and padding for college baseball programs all around the country the next time your field or facility needs something new whether that be netting wall padding l screens or ball carts make sure to check out our friends at netting pros these guys are amazing they've got great products they're great people and they absolutely love baseball so it's so cool when you can you know you can get a great product and also support a business that really loves our sport. Really appreciate those guys. This show's not possible without them. Gentlemen, happy Sunday. How we doing? Good good to, good to see you guys. Doing well. Hey, let me intro the show and then we're, we're going to get right after it. The, as you guys know, some of you were on this last year. Man, time it flies by. And I've got questions. I got questions for you guys. You're going to you're going to teach me tonight how to develop hitters. But for the, for people that have not listened in the past, last year we did fourth coach conversations. We wanted to give more exposure to our volunteer coaches across the country. You know, if Twitter is speaking the truth, hopefully we'll never, never see or hear from the phrase volunteer coach ever again come next August. But we shall see. We've heard this story before. But anyway, you know, we've got so many great coaches. The way it works in college baseball, the head coach does a lot of the media stuff. So that's who we hear from. But we've got so many great baseball people in the volunteer positions, just in the assistant coaching positions. And so that's what we're doing this year. We're really talking to a lot of the assistant coaches across the country, but we're doing it subject driven. So tonight's topic is hitter development. And gentlemen, let's just jump right into it. What I'm going to have you do is we're going to go around the horn and I want you to introduce yourself. So name, where you grew up. Where you played, where you've coached—just bullet point us through your resume if you can. Connor Spencer, go ahead and make sure you give your name too. Connor Spencer. I am the director of player
1: operations at Cal State Fullerton. Uh, played my college baseball at UC Irvine, and then was with the Yankees for five seasons, and then was a national scouting coordinator with Perfect Game, and this is my first year at Cal State Fullerton.
0: All right, Connor, I got it. We got to We. Uh, your background is fascinating. First of all, you're going to fact check me. Okay, if I get you your resume right, you won a you won the state batting title as a high school senior, which is no big deal because you played in Rhode Island. Oh, I'm kidding. High, You're, yes, high school yeah, junior. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Okay, you were a junior. You did that as a junior. Yeah. yeah I was so, a what would you have to hit to win the batting title in the state of California? Five thirty six, I think. Five thirty six. So
1: California. then, and
0: then you won a batting title in the Big West. That was your junior year, also.
1: It was my sophomore year.
0: Sophomore year. Playing for great the great Skip Gillespie, and then you yes. did it your first year of pro ball with the Yankees. You won the New York Penn League batting title, yes. correct? Yes. Okay. So you are you're the one of the, you're the perfect person to have on this call because the because <laughs> you know like batting titles are that's such an incredible accomplishment, and it bums me out that there we just don't make a as big of a deal of it in today's day and age. So I guess here's my question for you, Connor. You know, with we want to be a modern hitting coach, right? But I don't know, like, how do you parse that out? How do you get square with how, who you were as a hitter and where hitting is gone?
1: Well, I, this is really funny. Our first assistant, Neil Walton, and I were talking about this exact thing about two days ago and where hitting is going and where it was before. You know, I had brought up to Neil jokingly, when I say the word or the phrase in today's game, if I were to ask you runes, if I say sword, what do you associate that with today's game of baseball? The pitchers, the, like, the, yes. you know, the, yeah, that whole thing. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Well, back when I was coming up, you know, it was my hitting coach, my guy that I hit with from 13 all the way through professional baseball. Back then it was a old-school camera that was behind some plexiglass in the L screen, and that was hardwired to a vhs and then you'd come in and you'd hand over your vhs tape and put it in the vhs tape player and you'd look at your swing and you'd go back and with the vhs player you'd be able to click you know a little bit of slow motion but it was all grainy and fuzzy because the frames sure. were terrible but what you were looking for is back then is the phrase was you were looking for a sword because the frames were so fuzzy that if i was to get on plane and stay on plane for a long period of time then the barrel would look like a sword on the fuzzy video wow and now it's just like you know that word and that picture stole it connor yeah. they stole it from us <laughs> so it's just it means something completely different now but you know the concepts of it's funny the concepts of being a great hitter i feel like have been the same for a very long period of time but sure. what were the way that we're able to analyze hitters and the tools that we have at our disposal to try and convey what we're trying to get across to hitters is completely different in today's day and age. And so there's goodness gracious. I sit in my car late at night, trying to scheme different things in my head, you know, constantly of, of how we're trying to get in our hitters heads and attack hitters with knowledge that they need for success without overwhelming them in
0: this crazy day of information. Yeah. Well said, we're going to get into some of that. That's that one of them, I've got a question for all of you guys around that area of you know, saturating hitters, if you will. No, that's really good. And you know, obviously, you got to play in Omaha in 2014 with Irvine. Obviously, Connor had a great career. Brandon, go ahead, introduce
2: yourself. Yeah, I'm uh, Brandon Van Horn going on the year. Eight. I grew up in just outside of Los Angeles, played teach for uh, the great Dennis Rogers. who I know you guys talked about a couple weeks ago, Baptist with Heath, and then went back and finished up at a Masters out in Santa Clarita, and then played as the San Francisco Giants and right up to COVID and been coaching.
0: All right, so I got a lot of questions I want to ask you, Brandon. I'm trying to pick one. All right, let me right, let's do this one. <laughs> What's the difference between coaching – because you had a nice run in professional baseball with the Giants. In your mind, this is a broad question, what's the difference between coaching a professional Mm -hmm. hitter and a college hitter?
2: The trust trust in the college hitter is just – and as a player myself, I know I was just initially hesitant because you never really know where somebody's coming from, no matter what you stand on top of your head. Well, if I know I, I have his best interest. To minor, he has muscle and go up there and stand on top of my head. But if it's not there, then it doesn't matter. What you're trying to use so I've noticed with the college guys, there's definitely openness and open mindedness to different types of phrases and all that stuff.
0: Do you think that's because you guys are, I mean, I think that's one of the big advantages we have in college baseball is you're spending more, you're just with the, I don't know, you, you, you build a longer relationship. It just, it feels like they're pro. I, I have never experienced professional baseball, but it feels a little bit more transient. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Maybe that's part of it.
2: Yeah. I think it's just, human. I think it was super, super fortunate to see both sides of the ball as the hitting coaches. I think they had 12 and five, years <laughs> and then uh, you know so, so much about trust and there you've already had success at professional baseball so there's not so much of drastic changes right switch about these guys that made drastic changes after they've mm-hmm. already crashed up but so eager and especially our boys down here jump on anything you tell if the trust is there right and you build that trust through the
0: recruiting process and
3: Tyler go ahead all right I'm Tyler Norgren I grew up in San Diego California I went to Point Loma Nazarene which is also in San Diego small d2 right on the beach got into coaching in 2018. I coached two years at my alma mater high school Madison high school and then went back to Point Loma Nazarene and then in 21 right before the season Coach Jay Johnson brought me to Arizona as the director of ops and walked into an Omaha team. And then he brought me to LSU. And then this past July, came over to California Baptist.
0: Love it. All right, Tyler, James Madison High School mascot is?
3: Warhawks. Oh, man, that doesn't
0: fit at all. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) What would we do there? I thought we were going something presidential congressional who's the who's the best baseball player in the history of james madison high school oh man anybody famous i don't know, any? About,
3: I don't know about how deep it goes back but one of my best friends who was in my wedding cory oswald he was up and down in the bigs with the mets for the last few years so played college
0: in. baseball or signed out of high
3: school he signed out of high school gotcha
0: all right so you've spent a couple years with jay johnson that 21 arizona offense by the way, was. Silly, how good it was. So, if you, I'm going to give you. You can three words or less describe that. You know, the Jay's style of offense. Three words or less. It's tricky.
3: Disciplined, well-rounded, explosive.
0: I like that. Well, what was the, the really cool T-shirt you guys had in Omaha too? It's a ball or it's a line drive. Is that right? Yeah, it's Do I have a ball right? or a
3: line drive. Yeah,
0: yeah. That it's one of the great hitting T-shirts of all time. It's a ball or yeah. it's a line drive. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Yep, yeah, and love that you're at Cal Baptist right now. Coach Adcock, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, and I've exactly. lost a lot of lost lost a lot of baseball games to Coach Adcock. So it takes a <laughs> lot. I've really grown in that area. Coach Salento, go ahead
4: yes sir well i appreciate you having me on and humbled to be in with you guys i've been awake for 14 years you know, talk about you know my career it started as a legion coach for Sissel saxon legion in the maryland dc area played at sienna college small little division one went to legion ball went back to coaching at sienna college spent a couple of years at the university of new orleans although we we spent some time out in las cruces and after Hurricane Katrina blew through, spent a couple of years, spent 3 years in the Ivy League at Brown and now 14 years at Wake. Been very fortunate in the game where not too many people stay at the same place for too long. I've 14 years in one spot. It's been a blessing.
0: Love it. Bill, it's Bill Salento, by the way, for anybody, the podcast people won't get to see the picture. So I'm going to make sure we don't mix up names here. So, Bill, what I want to ask you about Wake and I want to ask you about the 2017 team, which was an incredible team. If I'm not mistaken, you guys hosted a regional and then you took Florida to game three of that Gainesville Super Regional. And, you know, an incredible Super Regional, like super, super well played. And Florida ends up winning the national title. What you guys have had a lot of really good players and teams. What was a difference maker for that 2017 Wake team? Why was that the team that was right on the brink of Omaha?
4: Well, I think every time it's the clubhouse. You know, you can have talent and getting the clubhouse right is the key and I think that group had a bunch of guys that were in it for the right reasons. We had some pretty high profile drafts that were willing to play on the front and not on the back and you know, I guess we, we got, what, two of those guys right now in the big leagues. And, you know, you get a bunch of like-minded people who are playing for the right reasons, who want to work pretty hard, and it's there's no secret to it. It's, you look at the Phillies right now, you see it going on at the big league level.
0: Yeah. Who were the two big leaguers? Was it Stuart Fairchild and Gavin Sheets? Is that right?
4: Yeah, yeah Stu's up with the Reds right now, and Gavin's up second year, just finished his second year with the White Sox.
0: And then Stu is playing, because he was a center fielder for you guys. Is that right? That's right. Is that what he's, he's playing for the Reds too, or...?
4: Yeah, he's been a platoon. He's been their fourth outfitter, played a bunch down the stretch. Stu's the best athlete I've ever seen in a baseball uniform.
0: Wow. Like, how would you describe him athletically? Like, like, like football athlete, basketball athlete, combination.
4: Yeah, he can do anything about good. You put him in a weight room and you watch him move weight around, and, and you don't want to lift any weights anytime soon. He's his, he's his, you know, can run, can do it all.
0: That's awesome. And he's a Seattle, Washington kid. Is that right? Seattle, Washington. That's right. Oh my gosh, that's great. That's good recruiting right there. Well done, Coach C. Yes, good stuff. Hey boys, let's do this. Let's start whipping around here on hitting development. So, it's a broad topic, right? It's a really big topic. So, I want to start here before we get into really specific stuff that I'm going to throw at you. Connor, I'll start with you. If you know, I want you to give me three core principles, three pillars, three things that that I can lean on. What are three things about developing a hitter that are really important to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I'll give you a three pillar Three pillars of hitting. I think when I look at least the way that our coaching staff develops our hitters at Fullerton and the way that I've developed my hitters in the past, the guys that I work with, the things that I really focus on, your first main pillar is the obvious, is you're going to work on mechanics and you're going to, obviously, you're going to do the nitty gritty in the cage to work on mechanics. Your second pillar that I think is most important and things that you're working on with your players is timing. And we spend a whole heck of a lot of time on timing and understanding your timing. I think that the biggest mistakes that young hitters make is they don't have a true self-awareness for their triggers, their timing mechanisms. And then their th- your, obviously your third pillar is, which I'm pretty much sure everyone can guess, is your mental side of hitting which there are programs out there that do a heck of a good job of spending a lot of time of understanding how hitter psyches work and understanding what hitters are thinking at the plate. I know that we as a staff at Fullerton spend a whole heck of a lot of time on the mental side of the game. And when I work with guys, I really want to focus on, you know, what they're thinking at the plate. I want them to be self-aware of their thoughts. I want them to be self-aware of their techniques you know, for an 82 game schedule or 162 game schedule, or, you know, it's, so those would be my three kind of building
0: blocks of things that I'm really honing in on day in, day out. So let me, let's do the swing with you, Connor, because, because, especially because you had so much success, what, like, were you someone that thought a lot about your swing or you really just wanted to have your routine and then get to the other parts of it? To be honest, I
1: wasn't taught, you know, I was, but I wasn't that self-aware of my routine until I got to professional baseball. Truthfully, for me, it was all about feeling the right way, obviously, but it was my mentality day in and day out was I was going to show up to the ball field and I was going to beat the guy on the hill because I put in more work than that guy on the hill. That was it. And I was blessed growing up. My hitting coach Glenn Zielinski that I worked with through you know all the way through taught me very early on was just as much of a psychological coach as he was a hitting coach and we worked the mental game hard early on and focusing on being you know being focused and relaxed and not thinking about the mechanics or anything else of the swing when it came to game day keeping things simple as humanly possible. And that's something that I preach obviously to my guys, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. Hitting's really hard, man. It's really hard. And when you try to do all these things and overcomplicate it for more than what it is,
0: it's nearly impossible. Tyler, go ahead, you go next.
3: Okay, I think the first pillar for us is the mental side or the mental game. And I think that encompasses a lot like your routine, So are you putting yourself in a place in the box to where you're at a clear mind, clear mental space and can accomplish the task at hand, whether it be executing a situation or if nobody's on, just getting a good pitch to hit and putting your best swing on it or just competing against whoever's on the box. So the mental side, number one, number two's approach for us, which again, could be less than two strikes, two strikes, could be a team wide approach, could be an individual approach, or it could be approach against that specific pitcher that day or a bullpen arm or whoever it may be and then the third pillar would be mechanics for us and i think that just culminates everything like that's what you work on in the cages you do so much work to be a competitor and to get a good pitch to hit that just maximizes your chance on on doing damage if your swing is working the right way yep love it very good brandon go ahead
2: Okay, for us, it's pretty simple. It's direction. And within all, all those three, we practice uh, all the time, right? Because I think so much of like what Connor was saying, people don't understand timing and they're throwing harder and their pitches have better shape. And the when I was in college, six, seven years ago, and just understanding timing first move that you can repeat when a guy's a one-one to the plate, which is a part of the professional professional game, being able to compensate for that, and just being on time, you know, being out front now, and you can't really be late to the party, <laughs> you know, two. you know, so many, that's really, I guess, the mental side for us is when they miss hit a ball, Is okay, okay, well, I need to change this, or I need to change that, but really, it's, so well, did you see it, and you can't ask yourself to think those thoughts in the box if you don't practice, you know, so a lot of what we do is based around our vision, making sure our thoughts are simple and connected with what we're seeing and and then direction. With where we play and and some of the places in our conference, it's really easy to get away from staying through the ball. And if the direction's right, checklist, then everything else should be right, you know? Because there's so many guys, right? There's so many guys on but they're on time and they see the ball well and they're uber confident. So they're good to hit beautiful swings that aren't on time, and they think sixteen thousand things, and they don't see the hitters. And I think we err on the side of, of really preaching those three things and come home.
0: Yeah, I love that when you were speaking about being on time. I was thinking about, you know, you're watching a hitter facing a really talented pitcher, and they're maybe they're just not, you know, they're just not ready for a pitch, and then you're thinking, man, that might have been the at bat right there. I, I think about. Who was it? The Padres took Scherzer apart, and they got him early. First pitch of you know, like first hittable fastball. And the truth is, if they didn't get Scherzer, then they probably weren't getting them. But they did get him. You know, it's that's really good. Coach Salento, go ahead.
4: Yeah, these guys covered kind of some of the things, but I, I'd say for me, three things. Number one is preparation, right? And I think that encompasses a lot of the things you're talking about, but understanding what the game requires of you nowadays, right? So. You look at today's game, and I look at it like a car crash. We're trying to, we're trying to collide head on, and you got pitchers nowadays that it's vertical, it's creating angles horizontally. It's, you know, we're in a we're in an era where we're throwing harder than ever, throwing more secondary stuff than ever, right? So, it, your preparation allows you to combat all those different things. So I'd say that's my first pillar. My second pillar is the ability to make adjustments off that, right? We know what somebody does right in the beginning but it's a game of adjustments right so equipping our guys with the ability to make adjustments throughout bat or from pitch to pitch i think is key so the second thing i would say is adjustments the last thing i would say is winning the adversity battle right i think there's so many different things that you can do in that pitcher hitter confrontation to give you an advantage right and if you can create adversity in a pitcher on a given day you got a better chance for success if you allow him to create the adversity in you it gets a little bit more difficult so Three things that 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 kind of I think matter are you prepared? Can you make adjustments? Can you create some adversity?
0: Oh, I love it. I saw I saw Connor's team, Cal State Fullerton, play UNLV yesterday, and uh, Fullerton's three hole hitter yesterday, I- at least anyway. Zach Glue. I'm, I'm doing his name right, right? Zach Glue. Did I do that right, Connor? Yep. Yeah. So he's five nine, one seventy. He's a fifth year senior. He's hitting three hole, and early in the game. It's a false scrimmage. He gets down 0-2 with a runner at third base, less than two outs, and you're thinking, oh man, this, this is a good situation going the wrong direction. And like two pitches later, he wears one off the helmet to save the at bat. And when you said the word adversity, Bill, that's exactly what I was thinking about. It's like this kid is just fighting for his life. It's not going well. And he, you know, it, you know, it's just a breaking ball up and in. He just kind of he didn't get hit on purpose, but he certainly didn't not get hit. You know, on purpose, and um, it was awesome. You're just like, okay, that's you know, that's flipping the script right there. So there's good. nothing better.
4: There's nothing better than that when you get a, a kid who doesn't have all the advantages of big body, big stature when he gets in there to create that adversity, and he does it through a million different. We have a kid like that, Tommy Hawk, in our program. Same yes,
0: thing. You yep. go to war with him. Love Tommy Hawk. That's great. All right, boys, let's keep going around. This is, ai am going to, so the broad topic is technology in working with hitters. You know, we have so many devices now we have so many better, so many more tools. We have better tools, but it's big, right? So I'm going to use the broad word technology, but you get, can, you can take this anywhere you want. So Connor, my question for you is what's your favorite tool that you would consider of the modern variety?
1: Yeah, that's, whoo, who, who. there's a lot of new toys that I've gotten to use, that we've used, that I've gotten to play around with. You know, if I were to pick an absolute favorite, it's something, it's, it's Hit Tracks. I really, I love Hit Tracks. <laughs> what about uh, it? What do you love about it? It's Obviously, it's really fun to go into the cage, and it just immediately spits out information at you. You can put yourself, obviously, in different ballparks and and watch ball flight. You know, when what was funny is when I was coming up through the pros with the Yankees, hit tracks was just, it was new. It was, Mm -hmm. hey, we've, you know, try this out. And at the time, there was really just nothing like being able to step into a cage, having a BP throw or throw, and then hooking yourself up to that hit tracks and being able to watch ball flight and exit velo and launch angle and just immediate information. You know, there's a lot of different tools out there that spit out information at you and hit tracks just, I don't know. It's so immediate. It's, you know, you swing and it's right there and it's so easy you know so that would definitely be one of my favorite it's man it's crazy how much technology is out there the different things that we use at cal state fullerton like we you know the synergy app that we use that we've become really familiar with that we love we use with our scattering reports we use with our own guys
3: yeah there's a lot
0: that's awesome i like that tyler go ahead
3: yeah i think there's a lot of good stuff out there too just because all of it is a player development tool or a scouting tool. But if I had to pick one, I would go with TrackMan. And the reason I would go with track man is purely exit velocity, like if you can see the exit below in game. And the only reason I say that is I don't think it's the end all be all, but you know, once you start getting 95 plus, then your averages and your percentages of doing damage increase. But more than anything to me, it tells you at your core if you are on time, if you swung at a good pitch to hit. And if you put your best swing on the ball, your active velo should be higher. So that's why I would pick Trackman.
0: Very good. Speaking of Trackman, uh, so watching Vandy in Arizona State today, RJ Shrek, who coached Lento, you know well. He's a fifth-year senior at Vandy now. He hit a, you know, hanging slider. He hit from Las Vegas to Phoenix, right? Like, he just murdered this ball. And it was just so funny, the age that we're – I was up in the press box. The age that we're in – is, you know, the whole press box was was 108 miles an hour exit velo, and that number went right through the whole stadium, right? Like, it was, like, so normal. It was great. It was great. Brandon, go ahead. Yeah.
2: I, I'm going to go with my phone. Does that count as an answer? Yeah, sure.
0: Tell, talk to us.
2: I, I think I err on the side of, of old school blend of both, uh, huh. but our phones, so far, my, my phone has been the best piece to – send each other videos you know at night or and, and there's so much information there's different types of drills and then you know half the photos or half the video of the guys in the cage right and you talk about instant feedback and to learn from a lot of guys like like will clark and they just preach that the ball tells you everything and even though we don't have here we can use our the camera on our phone and that gives us instant feedback too right you want to go from behind or the side or even backing it up in an inner squad just to see if you're on time and they hit her in the right-hand corner so I'm gonna go with my phone
0: I'd love that coach Salento. go ahead yeah that's
4: I'm gonna take a hodgepodge I'd say look track man for me you know for similar reasons but a little bit different I think the strike zone and being able to dominate the strike zone is crucial you know so having an accurate tool to measure Where we strike the ball well, I think is incredibly important. So track, man, I'd follow it up with two other things that, you know, phone or video camera. Yep, please. I think you can learn a lot of things. Success leaves clues and you can jump on there and make some comparisons. And the last thing I'd say is a good pitching machine, right? I think the more we can train in the game environment, you know, the better we prepare our guys to handle what's happening in today's game.
0: Oh, I love that. Yep. Yep then that's really what it is. It's uh, there's not one answer for everybody. So having all those tools in our toolbox, that's really the, that's the beauty of it. All right. I don't let me rush you guys, but man, I got a lot of questions. I've got some, I want to make sure I don't run out of time for some of these questions, but this is an important one. So this could be, you know, someone that you played with, someone that you coach, someone that you watch be coached. You guys have carte blanche on this one. But what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a victory story, you know, development, hitter development, particularly it's a journey, you know, it's not linear. We hear that all the time, but Connor, I'm going to start with you. I I want you, I'm looking for the name of a hitter whose journey in in developing as a hitter is one that you really, you enjoyed, you take pride in something, one that pumps you up.
1: One that is personal to me that I really enjoyed watching and Listen, there's a lot of guys that I've had the I've been extremely humbled to coach and, and be alongside, but it was a guy that I was playing with, and that was Aaron Judge, and that was Judge's journey through the minors. That's
0: right, he was the Yankees. I'm not putting yes. two and two together and there. Yes.
1: Yeah. We came up together and to kind of watch him grind the way that he did and to make the adjustments that he did in the cage. One of one of his biggest focuses, one of the biggest focuses of the yankees was trying to get him to get on playing quicker and stay on playing longer right you know he's the one of the strongest human beings i've uh, strongest baseball players i've ever been around in my entire life and he is one of the most uh, persistent workers i've ever been around on a baseball field and that kid would get into the cage and just grind grind off the tee and grind off the tee and grind off the tee And I remember, you know, I I tell this story sometimes to my guys as a lesson of, you know, how quickly things can change in the game baseball. You know, it it was my final spring training. Judge and I met in the parking lot. It was spring training was wrapping up that year and we were talking and I looked at Judge because at that time he had made his major league debut, but he really hadn't solidified himself yet. And he was doing a lot of big league spring training that spring training and I was you know, up and down with AAA. And I had a really good spring and we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, we're going to grind it out this year. And he's like, yeah, we got to grind it out. We'll see what happens. And I looked at him. I'm like, this is going to be your year, man. And he looked at me, he's like, yeah, it's going to be your year. And then, you know, a few months later, I'm on my couch and retired and he is the rookie of the year that year. And so how quickly things can change, you know, just in the blink of an eye in the game of baseball, unbelievable work ethic out of judge. Yeah.
0: Gosh, I, while you were talking, Connor, I looked up his college stat. I think we're all aware of this. 18 home runs in 600 college at-bats. He played every day for three years at Fresno State, a program that's always, that's had a bunch of really good hitters. You know, Mike Batesel's really good with hitters. And he had 18 home runs. He had two and then four and then 12 playing every day for three years. And then, you know, crazy. Just It's even crazier. The thing that blows my
1: mind is Judge had all those homers. And that was in 13. And then in, the, I'm pretty sure that was in 13, I think. But that was same year in 13, that was my sophomore year. You'd go and you'd play San Diego. And then you'd walk up to the scouting report and you'd look down the scouting report and you'd look at the homers. Cause that was right at the peak of the dead ball era, 2013, That's season, right. 2014 season. And it was impossible to get balls out of ballparks where our Omaha run only saw like one or two homers in all of Omaha. And you just, you'd play San Diego and you'd go down the scouting report and you'd look at the OPS and you'd look at the homers and you'd be like, "Ah, oh, this guy's got two, zero, zero, one, two, 30. What the, and, and that was Chris Bryant. And you just, uh, what in the world? Like how, it just doesn't make any sense. Just
0: seen some unbelievable power numbers. That's yeah, yeah, he yeah, that's the greatest Chris Bryant out homered 226 division 1 teams that year. So, it was yeah, he was incredible. Tyler, go ahead. You go next.
3: All right, I've moved around a little bit the last few years, so this might be a little bit of a cheat cuz I wasn't around this guy for his entire development, but I'm going to go with Kobe Tato, who was our second baseman on the 21 Arizona team and I just got to see it for 6 months while I was there, but The reason I'm going with him is because he was such a key cog in that offense. There were times he had leadoff, he had second, settled in at sixth or seventh, maybe left-handed. He was our second baseman, but he could do it all. He could sack, he could drag, he could really work a count, like really work a count. He really knew the strike zone, walked. If it was coming at him, he was going to wear it hit by pitch. He had a monster year average-wise. And the reason he's a victory story is because he didn't play the first three years at Arizona. It was year four when he finally cracked the lineup because guys were ahead of him at second base that were just monsters as well. So he redshirted his first year, if I'm not mistaken, like maybe had 30 at best the next two years, but he went and played in the Northwoods each summer and had really good summers. And he just kept developing. He kept getting stronger each year and he didn't leave, you know, he just kept going and he trusted Coach Johnson and he cr- trusted Coach Wanica and he trusted what they were doing and the plan and he put together a monster year for an Omaha team and ended up getting drafted in the 11th round or 12th round maybe and he only played really one year of college baseball. So that's the one that I've seen firsthand that really stands out to me. Oh, that's a
0: good one. I'll tell you another great development story on that team to me, Tyler, is Dante Williams. You know, I, oh, I, I yeah. liked, yeah, I liked him as a player, but I remember, you know, you could argue at the end of 2021, he might've been Arizona's best hitter. And, you know, like I thought he was going to be a senior sign, play a year and a half of pro ball and get on with life. And then by the end, he was so good. He's a fourth round pick. And, oh man, yeah, that, that was a special group of hitters right there. That's a, Kobe Cotto's is a great call. Brandon, go ahead.
2: Two, two, quick ones. First one's probably, yeah, I was fortunate to see him in the cage. And when I was going up and down there in Sacramento, went on and lit the world on fire because that's just a swing change. And that was really, for a little bit at the tail end to see, you know, he's not a big guy, but he gets so much out of his and using the ground and all that stuff. It That was pretty cool. And then here, we have just in, in two years, he was a COVID junior college guy. So so he didn't get to the season, and he walked on here for us last year, and battled injuries and, and hit about three a temporary thing in, in the Cape, and then finished up in the last game. He went four for five with a homer, two doubles, and his only only out was a backhand sliding play. The third baseman made, which would have been another double. So you look at a kid, you know, and he's five and three or you know one eighty four on a good day, but to go from not playing a junior COVID to Finishing up last summer in the Cape that's, is pretty awesome.
0: That's awesome. So first guy was Mike Ustromski. What's the second guy's name, Brandon?
2: Gunner. Gunner Anilin.
0: Okay, Gunner Anilin. Perfect. You know what's funny? Mike Ustromski was on that incredible 2013 Vandy team that set the SEC record. They went 26-3 and in that league, but got upset by Louisville in the Super Regional. And uh, you know, the, for Vandy fans, that was just heartbreaking. But I'll never forget Tim Corbin just always raved about Mike Ustrinsky, and I just you know, like as a fan, you're like, oh, he's a nice player. Like I like praise he you got from Corbs was it just felt miss you know like it, it didn't match my viewpoint of the player. But now you see what Yaz is doing in the pros, and now it all now the wires are connecting. It's yeah, that's a good call, Billy. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, could go a bunch of different ways, but the best one that comes to mind is a kid, Nate Mondu, who's also a Seattle, we're talking about Stu Fairchild in Seattle, is also a Seattle area kid. Nate was an 11th round pick, was just the prototype for consistency. You know, an afterthought draft, an afterthought on every team, I think about every year in pro ball, I get on the phone with him and he's playing every third day or fourth day and at the end of the year, he's playing every day and made his big league debut at the end of the year this year and, you know, it is a, is an average talent, you know, who just grinded his way through it and earned it.
0: Where did he hit for you guys, Billy? What teams and where did he hit for you so guys? So he,
4: he was uh 16 drafts, so I guess 14, 15, 16. Hitting our two-hole, hitting hit in front of a pretty good line. Hitting in front of Will Craig and Gavin Sheets and them, but hitting our two-hole most often.
0: And so your 16 team, time. did that team host also, or that team was just a postseason team?
4: No, we went to Texas A&M, and That's it's right. not a great memory because... We got yelled at out of bubbles. I remember that one too well.
0: <laughs> that's right. The bubbles that end of oh my gosh, that's a tough place to play. I oh, love it. Good. All right. Well done. All right. What do I? Which one do I want to do next? Let's do. All right. Let's. I got. I got. I got two. Two more that I gotta get to. Okay. Here's my question, Connor. I'm starting with you. You know, I was raised on the concept of fastball efficiency, meaning that hey, we're gonna we're gonna get all over fastballs and not just center cut fastballs. Like we're gonna dominate the fastball. If the guy paints us in. That's different, but every other fastball, middle in to the outer black, we're gonna own that pitch. And as you know, as as you the season progresses and you play the better teams, now you've got these guys that command their fastball, but they're also flipping these off speed pitches in there to steal strikes and gain count leverage. So here's the thing in my brain. Can we train hitters to be all over the fastball, but also hammer that crippled breaking ball that's trying to steal a strike? Or am I getting a little greedy there? Am I convoluting that? So then the question becomes, how do I do that? You know, you can take it anywhere you want, but that's the puzzle I'm trying to solve right there is I want my guys to dominate the fastball. I don't want to back off that, but I want to be a little greedy. If somebody's got a little flipper, they're trying to steal a strike with. I'd like to be able to pound that too. Go ahead, Connor.
1: Yeah. Another thing that Neil and I really had a long conversation about this year in, you know, trying to decide how we were going to progress the hitters this season and how we wanted to allow the different things we wanted to implement. For me, you always want to be on time with the fastball. Always. We're always looking to be on time with the fastball. I'm always you know, making sure that my triggers and my launch and my load and everything, I'm putting myself on time with the fastball. And it's great to say that. And that's a very easy thing to say. But the fact of the matter is, is we play in the Big West and for anyone that is a fan of Big West baseball or watches Big West baseball, fastballs are hard to come by in this league. <laughs> they are, you know, when the guys that come to mind, when I think about this league are guys like Thomas Sesselman are guys like Elliot Surrey, guys like, you know, guys like Andrew Morales, who obviously have great command of their fastball But the changeup is plus and the curveball is plus and the slider is plus and they cross count and they're always trying to keep you off your balance. And I looked at Neil and I'm like, you know, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but I always want my hitters being aggressive and being able to just take what is given them and be, I don't know. I want them on time with the fastball, but I want them balanced. I want them... To have simple thoughts at the place at the plate that stay consistent so that if a pitcher makes a mistake with a breaking ball, if he makes a mistake with a changeup early on in the count, that we've put ourselves in a good position to hit for our hitters to just take advantage of those mistakes.
0: I love it. Tyler, I think as we go down the line here, this question will come more. If you can go anywhere you want with it, but that's kind of the essence. I think you guys feel my dilemma here. Like you know, if I start to, I want you to be on time for the fastball, but like, do I, am I starting to get now I'm painting outside the lines or, you know, do I have to teach my hitters just, Hey, every once in a while, let's just guess breaking ball, go wherever you want with this. But what's, what's the answer to this dilemma?
3: Well, I think the question in and of itself is what makes hitting so hard nowadays. Like, Right. With the increased velocity on the fastball, that increases velocity on the breaking balls and everything else. So that alone makes it makes it hard to hit. And then guys can throw two different types of breaking balls, one for a strike, one for a ball. And now your head's spinning a little bit. But I think you can. I think it's hard, but I think you can. I think you can stay on time to a fastball and that's where you're gonna plant your flag at, but also put in the training the ability to recognize breaking balls. So to Coach Salento's point earlier. This is where I think machines come in really handy because now you can get on the machine and you can do different types of shapes of breaking balls, different types of velos. You can move the hitter up and back. You can move the height of the breaking ball and then you just have it on a constant loop daily or weekly as like, hey, this is where the breaking ball has to start for it to be a strike for you to hit it. This is what it looks like when it's a ball and this is where it's coming out at relative to where your body positioning is for you to spit on that pitch and then hopefully over time you do that enough and enough and then they get enough game rep and they start to to recognize those different types of shapes and where it starts out in the game so that they know which one that they can hit out of the hand and which one is an automatic shutdown out of the hand and then I mean, you can throw in some other drills like like that in the cages some adjustability stuff you know get them on their front foot to start and flip stuff in there, different types of flips, mixed BP, all that type of stuff. But, yeah, it's hard. You definitely have to train it, and I think that's what makes the better offenses the better offenses in the country because those guys can do it and they get it. Yep.
0: Love it. Go ahead, Brandon. I'll gotcha bounce now. off
2: what Tyler said, but I think the key word is adjustability. It flows off our three pillars if you're on time to hit the fastball that's what we want fastballs throughout the day then make the most of it do some damage on it but you know you got to be on time as the breaking ball practice picking out different shapes and making good swing decisions the balls look like so that way we're seeing it as well as we can and then the direction because anytime we see spit through it doesn't matter where the ball goes Don't try to manipulate it just hit through the the spin, so that's just the swing part. But I think what one of the battles I ran into in my first you're right, right? Like guys are really really good pitchers now, but we can't give them that. They bleed just like we bleed. And even if that, sure. that dude's nasty and he's going in the first round, like last year, this how and he's like throwing. It's like you know the 20 mile an hour wind out here in Las Cruces and trucks, and he's throwing 96 mile an hour breaking balls or bowling balls. You know with and it's like well how do you hit it well you got to trick yourself people he good he's gonna make a mistake yeah. with whichever it is and i'm gonna do damage on it you know
0: yep. yeah yeah what you just said brandon there is that's where my brain goes on this is the dilemma like i don't want to give these guys too much credit either you know like just because this guy flips one breaking ball in there for a strike doesn't mean that it, you know he can do it at will yeah there's a lot of right. layers to this billy go ahead what's your take on this
4: Yeah, this is the gold, I think. You know, this is the gold. This is what makes or break you. Can you be adjustable? So, I, like, what do you do? I think you practice it. I think you practice in BP. I'm a big believer in throwing multiple pitches in BP. We'll throw breaking balls at guys. We won't tell them what's coming because I think they need to learn to self-organize so that they can handle making that adjustment. And I do believe, you know, that you can – sit in two different ranges and be able to handle it. So you build it off the fastball, but you're able to adjust back to something soft. I I think when you try and get more than two speed ranges, and that's the challenge, you put yourself in in, in no man's land. You put yourself in between over and over and over again. I think you practice it. I think you challenge them to do it. You tell them what's, you know, you don't tell them what's coming. And you get out there and you compete with them.
0: Yep. I love that. I tell you one of the genesis of that question was watching, you know, Philly's fan obviously, grown up in Philly. And I love Kyle Schwarber. I loved him when he was a Cub, just loved him as a college player and I think it was in the NLCS and he took a first pitch breaking ball and hit it to the moon. And I t- you know, he played for Tracy Smith and Ben Greenspan in Indiana and I texted I texted Ben Greenspan. I said, "Is Schwarber sitting on a, a breaking ball right there?" Cuz it was just jarring. You know, like the pitcher had that look like you didn't just do that to my first pitch, steal a strike, break a ball. No way, you just did that to that breaking ball. And so I texted Ben. I was like, "Is he camped out pitch?" And he's like, "No, that's not Schwarber. Schwarber is keep it simple, see it, strike it." And to your guys' point, like Kyle Schwarber, his whole get-up is pretty simple, right? It's repeatable. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of uh, to his operation, which probably allows him to do that. All right, boys, let's do the last one. So in this day in modern college baseball. 2022, 2023. You know, you mentioned it, Connor. A lot of these guys have hitting coaches. They have coaches that they've worked with their whole life. They have coaches that they work with in the off season. So the question becomes nowadays: How do I coordinate the voices? How do I make sure that these players don't have five different voices in their head saying different things? Hey, in my sales training career, my day job, we have to be careful of that, that the VP of sales and the regional sales manager and the sales trainer are not communicating the same message three different ways. And our salespeople are like, you guys are so confusing that I'm just going to do my own thing. So that the question, Connor, is how do you coordinate the voices for a player? Right.
1: I learned this concept from Greg Colbrun when I was with the Yankees. He was the hitting coordinator at the time. And it's the concept of each and everyone's individual hitting philosophy. Every hitter has their own hitting philosophy in order to be a good hitter. You need to create your own hitting philosophy. And what you do though, to create that hitting philosophy is you have to take in all of this different information from different coaches, next timing, you know, for every young hitter that's watching the show right now, or gets to watch this show, I would be frustrated if I were to come on here and all of us gave the same answer you know it you need the different voices in your head to create your own hitting philosophy however it is most definitely a skill to understand what works for you and what doesn't work for you and to take in the information that works and to bank it and to put it into your own hitting philosophy and to take the information that doesn't work and to get rid of it and make sure that you stay far away from it right i think like you said in today's day and age there are so many different voices that sometimes it gets hard to weed through you know weed through the smoke a little bit of all this information and this ties in with the technology thing this ties in with a lot of different stuff you know hitters have a lot going on but to try and, you know, to try and make some clarity out of all the different voices. I think hitters really have to become self-aware of their hitting philosophy, really weeding out what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And when you come, when it comes to, you know, trying to stay in contact with the guys that they're getting their information from, you know, listen, I had my own hitting coach, like you pointed out. A lot of our own guys have guys that they hit with. I think that There is a level of trust that you need between a hitting coach that that the guy just absolutely goes to that is beneficial towards that player's development. And if he has that guy that he trusts outright, I think that's a a very good thing. But again, you know, there it it is, you know, it's sometimes you don't know what is being said. So in the midst of it all, you just have to make sure that your players are very self-aware Of finding out what works for them what doesn't work for them so that they can bank it and create their own hitting philosophy
0: yeah i hear you saying like it's almost like we need to demand that they own their own philosophy because otherwise yep no that's really good go ahead tyler
3: yeah i think this is where trust and relationships with the players really come in and are really important because i think if you're going to a hitting facility which probably most guys are because we only have so many hours with guys and then there's a shutdown in the winter and then they go off in the summer and play summer ball or they go to facilities. Like they're going to go to places to hit and get their swings in and they're trying to get better. And if they are getting better then like, great. Like that's what we want. We also want them to get better. Like we want the individual to be as good as they can in order to help the team win baseball games. So if the player has trust in us and we have really good relationships with the players, then we can blend the two. And maybe they match and then that's like, that's heaven because now it's like, okay, you're working on the things that we think you should be working on your own to be successful and help the offense drive in more runs or like, hey, this is what I saw over the summer. This is where I think it went a little bit haywire. Do we have enough trust and relationship to where like, let's get you back in the center and go this route because this is where I see you being really impactful for yourself and for the team. You know, and that's how you get into the lineup is if you're making an impact and sure. contributing runs to the team and winning games. Yep. Yeah.
0: Now that's – yeah, and you mentioned it, Tyler, where it gets dicey is the players struggling, they feel a little bit lost, and then they're, you know, they're going to church on Sunday hoping the priest is going to offer a hitting philosophy, right? Like that's, the, that's where it can – it's tricky. Oh, but, yeah, that's good stuff. Go ahead, Brandon.
2: Yeah, I, it's the same like Tyler's talking about. It's – But I think the answer is constant constant communication. It's not about us. It's about if he can go to one of his teammates or if he can go to somebody else that can get him where he needs to be there, then perfect. You know, know, if it comes from me, great. If I don't have the answer, then I'll text somebody. And if they don't, then we'll keep trying to find the answer. But if they trust you, then it's always said this, what do you think about this? And one of the things that we've implemented this year, I actually learned, doubled it from my time my weightlifting program and my time with the giants and Fergus uses over at UCSB is just putting together a plan with the boys and making sure that they have to, do it and it's fluid, but everybody's on the same page that way, you know? And then I think there's power in saying no, especially in today's world. There's so many people coming out and that if you're in a good spot, saying no can be just as powerful as some that you just saw online.
0: You know, yeah, yeah, gosh. That's a great. That's a lesson we probably don't teach young people enough because I sit here as an adult that needs remedial help in that area, saying no to things. like just stop signing up for free newsletters. you know, like I don't need, <laughs> oh gosh, that's a great. that's really good. Billy C, go ahead, what's your thoughts on this?
4: Yeah, so I had to echo most of what's been said here. It's all about relationships. I- The one thing I would add to further it, I think one of the things as I do this more and more that I learned, it's about timeliness of the information too. So being really thoughtful about the timeliness of how I present information to our players. But know that they're in a generation that grew up with Twitter and Snapchat and whatever all those, you know, I'm not as handy with all those. So there's tons of information out there and think you're naive to think you're not going to walk out into your batting cage one day and, you know, see some guy doing the tin cup, right? With the glasses and all that stuff. They on <laughs> that's Twitter. a great scene. I think that's happening and that's going to happen, right? But if you can establish a value system with your team, with your guys, and you can be communicative with them, you can listen And to be thoughtful and timely when you do talk to them about some of the things that you do see, I think it's got a chance to be highly successful. They want, when they do all those things, they want nothing more than be the best version of themselves, right? Sure. It doesn't come from a place where they're like, hey, you know, I don't like this guy. I'm going to that guy. Or that They're trying to become the best version of themselves. They're trying to take some ownership in their career, right? So I think you need to listen and be timely and it'll all work out.
0: Yeah. Oh, great stuff. Gosh, guys, this is we're at 59 minutes and we want to keep it to an hour, and it just blew by. I'm not even done with you guys. I want to talk about technology traps. I want to talk about hitter identity. I want to talk about people whose offenses you guys have gotten inspired by other offenses that you liked. But as I've told the other groups, that's what the convention's for. Um, is we take this and we continue the conversation late into the evening in the convention. I Let's plan on doing that. Let's uh, let's put that on the calendar. So I really appreciate you guys doing this on a Sunday night. I enjoyed this immensely. Such a fun conversation. I want to say thanks again to our netting pros. These guys are awesome. Encourage everyone to support them and whatever they need. Again, we couldn't do these Sunday night conversations without the guys at Netting Pros who are tremendous. We'll be back here next Sunday night. We'll keep the topics rolling. Look out on Twitter for next week's topic. We'll keep promoting it. Thanks to these guys who did an awesome job and uh, that's it everybody have a great week and we will talk to you next sunday night
4: thanks rune thanks for all you do for the game